from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. You're listening to Behind the Message. week we take you behind what we teach here at West Side. I'm Ben Fleming. And I'm Evan Earwicker, and we are back for season two of Behind the Message. I want to say welcome back to everybody. We took a little break, but now we are excited to continue these conversations around what happens inside the church and outside of it. To kick off this year, we did our leadership uh, event that we have every year here at West Side, and during that event, we recorded a live podcast with a panel. Um, we had Pastor Keith Jenkins, who's been on the podcast before from Beaverton Foursquare Church, as well as our very own Pastor Steve Mickle and Pastor Bo Stern. And uh, we posed some questions and got a conversation going that probably could have lasted a lot longer than it did around a couple of issues that I think are uh, a big deal right now in the church, and they will continue to be. And so let's go live now to the panel discussion from this past Saturday. Hello, everybody. Uh, We want to get right into this today. Our time is limited. And uh, we want to discuss a couple issues that are so pertinent to where the church goes from here. And I want to start by reading this quick statistic. Uh, And this came from Lifeway Research and Outreach Magazine that 7% of the top 100 largest churches, evangelical churches in America, are led by a senior pastor of color, only 7%. And only 1% are led by a senior female pastor. And this female pastor happens to be a co-pastor with her husband, so not even on her own as the lead pastor of a church. And so we want to talk about church leadership today and how issues of race relationships and also women in leadership and ministry affect this discussion around church leadership. Is that okay? Can we do that? All right. Yeah, nothing. Wow, that's big. Right, go. Uh, let's just. So there's zero prep for this, uh, by the way, you guys. Am I right, Keith? Yeah. Just for so you, Evan is, and I are really prepared. I know you guys are really prepared, but I, you just got me really nervous. That yeah. little lead in, Evan. That's why we chose some light topics, oh, you know? Nothing too. I'm excited. Uh, I want to I launch with this question. If here at Westside, we look at Bo and we say, hey, we, we have a, a woman who speaks all the time. She's one of our primary speakers. I think we've got this, this thing of, of women in leadership down. We're good. Or maybe your church, Keith, in Beaverton says, hey, we have a white and a black pastor as our senior pastor. We, don't, you know, we are past the discussion now because we've accomplished what we need to accomplish in the church as far as uh, being forward-thinking and how we um, allow women and people of color a platform in our primarily white evangelical churches. (laughs) So, Keith, (laughs) are we past the conversation or are we not? So... You know, we, we, had this, we, had, we started some of this conversation when I was here this fall. And um, one of the challenges is, is that the dominant culture defines everything. The dominant culture decides what's appropriate, what's inappropriate, um, and ultimately has defined what progress is. No one's asked those of color or the women, because there aren't that many of them, to say, are we making progress? And so to me, it's almost... To be honest with you, it becomes like a made-up term to make dominant culture feel good about where we are. Because, you know, so we're saying, Beaverton Foursquare, let's take my context. We've got, a, we've got a black man and a white man sharing power and authority, so we're good. Yeah, but the only problem is, is that all that simply means is, is I've assimilated into dominant culture. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, every time I walk out of the door, I have to become a bicultural person. My culture is not celebrated nor represented uh, in, in most anywhere that I go, including my own church. And so we've got a long way to go, but that, that's not just my culture. We, have, we, have, we, we translate six different languages on Sunday morning, which, you know, so we got Korean, Bhutanese, we got, we got a, you know, Hispanic. Their culture is not represented. So, so when we say progress, we, dominant culture means progress when we say they're in the building with us and have assimilated into our culture. Theirs isn't represented. Wow. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Well, my culture has assimilated into the building, I think. And By at least 50%, looks like. Haven't assimilated into leadership, you know? And I think there aren't very many denominations anymore that would say we don't believe theologically women should be in the pulpit. Um, but there are lots of denominations that believe it and don't do it. And so, I mean, less than, actually less than 6% of all lead pastors in America are women, and those are mostly small churches. We just don't trust women with high-level leadership. And I think we, we trick ourselves into thinking, because we talk a good game, we say, we, but then like a pound of philosophy is worth a ton of execution and the other way around. You know, yeah. We've got to execute. And in order to execute, there's got to be a worldview change and not just, and I don't know that the worldview change can, can start with women in from my, it, it's going to have to start from lead pastors and all the other ones that are, are in charge of giving leadership. I, I say it a lot when people confront me about why are you going against the Bible by speaking at Westside. I always say, your argument's with Pastor Steve because I didn't storm the platform and take the mic. He's in charge of giving authority, and he did. And so that's me being under authority. And so the more senior leaders are willing to trust women and the more congregations are willing to let them practice and not get it right and not do it perfectly, the better we'll be in that, I think. And I, and God, God hasn't given me authority to release Bo to speak because I'm a white male. Bo doesn't need a white male lead pastor to give her permission to speak to other men. I mean, God does that. God's the one who gives and takes away. God's the one. He's the, he's the Lord of the church. He's the one with all the power. Can I? All the power. And he only, and he gives some to me and Keith and Bo and Ben and Evan and Kim Alexander and Emily and Spencer and on and on. He's the one who gives out his power uh, for us to then use in a way that is godly and life-giving and affirming. And, um, and we have, I, I'll be honest, I, I think Westside, we're moving somewhere. We're going someplace. We have not arrived. Having Keith speak three times at Westside. All right, high five, Ben. We're great. Yeah, we're really, we're awesome. No, I mean, you guys, this is a, but it is intentional. Having Bo speak a dozen plus times every year um, is intentional. Raising up uh, Emily, who spoke uh, just this last week on um, Sunday night, is intentional. There's, we, there's some intentionality behind this because we're going someplace, because we don't want to be outside of the conversation um, about those who have, have had the power, um, the, the, what I look like and what I represent, holding all the power and not allowing the, um, the God of all of us um, use whoever he wants, however he wants. 
I, I had a moment a couple of weeks ago. I posted a picture. I reposted a picture on my IG account from of Wayne Cadero having coffee with a group of guys and doing devotions. It was all guys. And I, I just remarked, because Wayne was a mentor of mine, and I can remember sitting around having coffee with Wayne and being mentored and him shaping my life and having that experience. And then, like, these ladies jumped on my IG account and said, yeah, but where are no women? And started getting in on me about that. And I thought... You know, the, the, so from the back end of this, not just the top, but the pipeline, I started thinking there are not enough spaces for ladies to be developed, mentored, coached, and so that they can ultimately arrive at the place of appointed leadership, senior leadership, right? Um, and so I had to look at my own self in the mirror because, like, even last night, I, I spent time with Hayden, who's a young leader in our church which, because of you guys. He's in our church. But I can grab Hayden and go to a movie. And it just, you can't do that when you're trying to raise up ladies. You have to figure out different environments that has to be different accommodations for that. But they need to be made because otherwise they, they, we just don't get the mentoring. We don't get the coaching. You don't, don't get released and sponsored into those positions. So I, I made a covenant to the young ladies in our church. It's like I will specifically set it up to where if we're doing coffee, if we're pouring in, if they're leadership conversations, you have to be at the table so that they can be equipped. And then when they become young mothers, there's other accommodations. But so we're trying to repair that pipeline from the ground up because we're going to need a lot of ladies because we've got high powered masters, doctorate ladies that are at home by choice with their kids now, but want to reenter vocational ministry. And don't want to don't don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't want to be relegated to hospitality and children's ministry. They have executive level leadership in them. So but the pipeline is important. Yeah. And right now we see a really interesting issue in America where we've got a, a very strong leader who's resigned because of inappropriate relationships with women or inappropriate not tight enough boundaries. But he's arguably the most effective uh, He's, he's promoted women more in ministry than any other evangelical leader, I think. And so now we're again at the crossroads of, oh, no, what do we do with it? And we look at women in ministry as as dangerous, and and women feel it. And in order to get by it, women are going to have to also support other women because women leaders haven't always been willing to support other women coming up behind them because there are so few spots. So we're going to have to be willing to do that as well. Yeah, this idea, I mean, I, I have rules in my life, and Bo knows them. She and I have never met by ourselves uh, in my office with the door closed. Ask me if Mike Alexander, our executive pastor, has had that opportunity or not. If it's not, is it an opportunity? I don't know. Anyway, you guys hear what I'm saying? <laughs> it's a punishment. It's a he punishment. Might, he yeah. might not like it's it. Not that it's, anyway. it's not all it's cracked up to be. You're missing the point, right? So the, but every man on, my, on, on our staff here has an opportunity that, that Bo Stern doesn't have to be mentored and have and influenced by me directly and and so we've got to figure this out and I think we've got we've got to figure it out as men I had uh, our vice president of our denomination uh, Tammy Donahue she uh, we were talking about this and 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 she said what is wrong with you men I mean really I mean one meeting you're gonna have a moral failure I mean come on (laughs) step up and you know and figure this out as men she was the same one that told me, she said, you, she said, she said you take these guys golfing all the time. I was like, yeah. It's like, she said, a lot happens in four hours of shaping and mentoring. I was like, sure. She says, well, I don't like golf, but I can drive the cart, and I would like to be around the conversations. And I thought, 
that's so true. It's just something as simple as, as tweaking. But what you said, Bo, about women being dangerous and it now becoming, now with Me Too and everything that's going on, it, be, it creates another barrier that we sort of have to push through yeah. and accommodate. Yeah, and we feel it when women get into meetings and they know conversations have gone on ahead of them. And you feel you're already behind. You're sitting at the table, but your seat isn't as valuable as the ones who kind of hung out and have relationship. Because there's an, we believe in leading through relationship. And I'm not asking for golf, please. <laughs> please. <laughs> you want to shop with me, Steve? Because that'll work. <laughs> you're in for that. I can tell. You're totally in for that. Real quick, you guys, um, not to break up the, the pattern of the discussion, because I don't think me and Evan are really needed this morning, which is great. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Um, We're out. <laughs> all right. Uh, we do have a text line. If you want to go ahead and text in a, a question specific to your context or whatever, we're going to go ahead and put that up on the screen. It's also available in your handout. Uh, so the big question that I have for you guys going forward is that, okay, we've, we've talked about these things. Women leadership in church, this is important. Race relations in church it, it is important. Um, a lot of us, maybe if we're sitting in the audience today, would think, well, that's good. That's up to you guys. You're doing a great job. Keep pushing forward. What would be the responsibility of the leader at Westside Church or at Beaverton Fort? Square Church, what do, what do these topics and discussions mean for the leader that exists in our, in our churches? Well, open, open heart, open mind, open to just like seeing who God wants to raise up and invite them in. It doesn't matter whether, it doesn't matter, there's no, there's no like qualifications. I mean, Keith just, just got done telling us that, that we can lead out of our brokenness. We can lead even in spite of who am I. I mean, find out those people that are around you, um, whether it's in ministry here at the church or in your business um, or at schools, um, wherever you're at, um, always be inclusive. Uh, open heart, open mind, open hands. Yeah, I think the, the challenge that we still have within the church, so you go back to civil rights movement and all that went on and you hear Martin Luther King say the most segregated time in America is at 11 o'clock mm-hmm. and, and, and in the church and referring to us. And I think... We, we haven't done enough as church leaders to, to really be inclusive and to really acknowledge our history, participation, and you know, our participation in excluding people of race, gender. We, we, we are selective about who we allow um, into those spaces to leadership. And when we were pastoring a church in Eugene, um, at one time, somebody said to me that, that it's, a, it's a move of God. And I was like, why? We had close to 900 people at the time. And they said, because the predominant group of people in your church are white and they're not used to being under black authority and black leadership as though minorities are always underneath white authority. And there was somebody that had remarked that. And I, we were just doing what we were doing. I didn't really give it a lot of thought. We were enjoying it. But it is true in that sense where we don't see a lot of gender, or a lot of race in those leadership positions. But we can never get... You know, same thing in our lives. We can never get through whatever we're doing with the, with the relationship with God if we're not willing to acknowledge our condition and repent of it. And the church just still drags its feet as it relates to this race issue and now even the gender issue. We've not wholesale repented and said, yes, this is what we need to do. I mean, literally the largest Southern gospel, I mean, the, the Baptist Southern gospel, the Southern Baptist convention was almost split because they would not come to terms with their racist background. And so most of the black pastors at their convention were headed out of there um, because they still could not get to a place of acknowledgement, just acknowledging it. And so that's, that's a challenge. Yeah, 
Uh, and you as leaders in the church, I, I know Ben's question was senior leaders, but you as leaders can change the culture of your church. When you hear somebody speak who is getting a start, starting to kind of push out beyond conventional barriers, you can speak well of them to one another. Because Steve is all for it, but the pushback he gets is it's from people in the seats. And that's a lot to fight through for senior leaders. So when a senior leader says, I'm going to empower someone who doesn't normally stand here and share the word of God, and it gets, it gets all funky out there in the seats, then that's, that's trouble. That means we don't get to have unity the way God, I think, intended it. And so as not just church members, but church leaders, the way we speak about the people that are in leadership over us, I think is really, really powerful. So how have we been dealing with that? I mean, you, obviously there's been some discussions, there's been some pushback, and maybe we've even gone as far, you know, a little far in the conversation when maybe there's, there's some of us that are going, look, I have biblical precedent, Bo, to say you shouldn't be on the stage talking to me. What do we, what do we do in those conversations? Maybe help some of those people who are saying, yeah, I'm having these conversations. I don't have any answers. Do we, do we have any answers for them in that discussion? Okay. So Bo and I, we did, we did a thing on women in ministry a couple years back and uh, everybody that showed up, pretty much everybody, 80% of the people that showed up were anti-women in ministry, already had their proof text ready, um, already had their arguments ready. And I would say, Bo disagree with me, but I would say they weren't there to listen, to learn, to grow, to think differently. They were there. So, Ben, to be honest, um, if you, <laughs> Jesus constantly was diminishing his ministry and getting rid of people. So I can just say that, um, so true. wait, are we about not, to do that right you're now? Not, yeah. If you're not open, if you're like closed theologically to women in ministry, one, you're wrong. Two, you're not looking at the whole of scripture um, Old Testament and New Testament both, and who God actually used as leaders. Um, you're taking two, three, four texts and proofing your theological belief on that. So uh, as, you can say, as you can tell, I'm not really open to trying to convince people who have already made up their minds that women can't be in ministry. It was it's shocking to me that people that, that came to this meeting had been part of Westside for years, and Pastor Bo has been a teaching pastor for years, and they, what, did they just skip that Sunday? You can't be part of this community and not believe that women should be in every leadership position, including the one that I sit in. And that, and yeah, so that's what I would say, Ben. So Thanks for asking. If I can ask then, Steve, uh, so to those who, who say, well, it says in the Bible, women can't teach. So what is our stance? What is our theology? Why, why is Bo on this stage? Yeah, that's a longer conversation, Evan, for sure. That, that, and, I, and I have a little booklet I would love to hand to every single person that has a problem with women in ministry and just be able, and then you can deal with the, what's in there, but at least they'll be able to know what we believe. It's called Women in Ministry. And so I can get this little red booklet. I can give it to you. You can call the church office. We can make sure we hand those out. And it has all the theological premise uh, for why we believe that. And it deals with the harder um, uh, Paul, Paul letter, uh, writings about women being silent and those kinds of things um, that we actually just didn't get right um, early on. And fortunately, there are so many churches for you to go to if you don't want to hear women speak. There's so many churches, most of them, in fact. So awesome. <laughs> Come to my I'm be done with this. Yeah, right. We uh, 
We got to keep moving here. We had a question. <laughs> we had a question for you, Bo, actually, uh, to talk about the pressure that you have to carry to be a good enough speaker to be able to be a, on the speaking team. And I want you to speak to this issue of the bar being higher if you're a woman. Um, that you know, you can be pretty bad at speaking if you're a white dude, and we'll give you a shot. But if you're if you're yeah, a lady, like twice as good as Steve. Yeah, right? talk to that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think uh, there's an old Quaker saying that they said a woman preaching, seeing a woman preach is like walking, watching a dog walk on its hind legs. It's not pretty, but you're impressed to see it done at all. So that's cool. <laughs> I think it is proven, yeah, that, that women kind of have to be twice as good to get half the opportunity. And I don't have a lot of answer to that except to speak to women. If you have to be twice as good, be twice as good. Get at it. Go after it. Stop whining and go after it. Figure out what does God want you to do. It does. If, if you want to be a doctor, you have to go to school. You have to try hard. You have to get better. It, it just. If this is the barrier right now, then deal with the barrier. God knows. He knows the time on the his, on the timeline He puts you. This is your time. Do it. Push it. Go figure it out. And I. Is it fair? Does it matter? I mean, right now, it doesn't really matter if it's fair or not. This is your deal. This is your calling. Go for it. Figure it out. That's- yeah, great book. Yeah, that's so good, Bo. Come on. Great book that um, Bo mentioned to me a while ago when it first came out. And then Amelia, our service producer, um, mentioned it to me again. And then another woman mentioned it to me again. And they were just mentioning how great it was. They weren't saying, hey, Steve, you should read this. But I finally got a clue. And I thought, oh, maybe I should read this. Sheryl Sandberg, Lean In. And it's an amazing book. And it's not just for women to do what Bo just talking about. But it's for white men to figure out how to lead in a more effective, more inclusive, uh, and broad way. Um, and I can't, I mean, I think it's in our notes. I think it's in your booklet as one of the reference points. Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. Really good book. I, th- I think the journey of the, the ethnic and feminine journey is so similar because I was told growing up in, in my home, you have to be twice as good. You, if, if they want you to come at a certain time, you need to be twice as early, stay late, you know, volunteer, all of those things. So it's just, it's just hilarious to see that the same strategy that the enemy would use ethnically, he uses with gender. How many know he can't create anything? And so what he is doing is just repackaging his same oppressive, exclusionary tactics against women and against ethnicity. And we need to push back on it. So the reality is, is the question that originally started this was how do you as as the leaders and the members of the church, when you see it, when you hear it, you have to address it. Your silence is no longer acceptable. Like you can't be silent and nice That's and good. just let it exist because it is a it is a current that'll flow through your church. You have to speak up. You have to reprove it. You have to not laugh at jokes. You know, whether it be women, they're just, you know, emotional and that type of thing. I just got finished telling you how much I cry. Hello. So, I mean, in, in those racist comments and jokes and different things in the slander, you've got to reprove that. And then as a church, the church, you got to invite people. And you got to be wondering if you got a circle in your life that doesn't have any ethnicity or any gender representation, your circle's too small. You need some of us in your world. Amen. 
So Keith, for you, we actually just had a, a question come in. What are some ways a predominantly white church and a predominantly white community can be racially or culturally inclusive in an in a organic, it actually says not yeah. weird way? Yeah, because yeah, the worst thing to do is to try to manufacture something. And Steve and I was right. just talking about this. I went to the movies last night, which I, I, Hayden and I came out of the movies at the mill, and there was a Hispanic truck blaring Bonda music out in front of the movies. And I thought, am I in band? What, what just happened? <laughs> Like, so you can't, you, you can't generate what you don't have, but your heart's got to be open and circumcised to it and have relationships and partnerships far and wide. So then you start collaborating with communities that are more diverse than yours. And you start getting involved with people who don't look like you that may not be geographically located. So you may have to say, hey, I'm going to come over to Portland on a weekend, Keith, to just participate in something you guys may be doing. So when proximity is not there, then partnership is the next best thing for you. But you've got to, I think, I think in the next 10 years, you're going to be shocked because all the Californians are moving here. Hello. Like, I know that hot button issue. I'm one of them. I'm going to be coming over here. No, but, but your, your, your city, your city will change and it is changing. And you can already probably hear people saying those people and those, well, well, those people are the people that God sends to you. And sometimes that's part of the mission of God to send people to you that you wouldn't go and reach. And I would say this, by the way, I mean, look around the room. Um, this is actually not even representative of the diversity we do have in our town. You know, we look around and say, well, we're probably 90% white. Oh, well, that's not even reflective. We've got to do a better job with the people that are already here. Not just prepping for who's coming, but who's already here. Are we doing the job that God has called us to to reach everybody? I mean, so this is where it really gets, it, it, the onus really falls on you because now you have to start saying hi and being friendly to people that you don't know. And maybe going over, maybe when you're standing in the Starbucks line and you see somebody that doesn't look like you behind you, you surprise them with kindness by buying their coffee. There's all of these different vehicles that we can use to get in relationships with people. It means you actually live in an incarnational life. That means that you're literally going to wear flesh in a different place than where you're comfortable with. And most of us have our circle. I'm not saying don't have your circle of influence, but I'm just saying open it up and be more inclusive. And be a listener. I mean, I think, I think so often we, we just base on what's going on in the media. We just, start, we just adopt that kind of thinking about uh, race issues. And we just think, well, or immigration. Let's, I mean, let, let's talk about immigration. We just, we just immediately take a political position that eliminates the possibility of having an open, honest uh, conversation with someone um, for, with a Latino in our city. Right? It's a non-starter. If you've already made up your mind that they shouldn't even be here, then having a conversation with them, what's the purpose? To convince them to go home? Or is the purpose to say, we want you here. How can we be more inclusive? How can we become part of a, of a family together? I'm not worried about whether you're here legally or not. Because the, the, the litmus of scripture is keep your door open to the foreigner. Keep your door open to those that are not like you. I mean, the immigration issue was, a, was just a political issue for me until we birthed a Hispanic church in our church in L.A. And all of a sudden, Carlos and Luz and their kids and the congregation grew to about 75 people. And then I found out that 85% of them were undocumented. And, but by then it was too late because we had already eaten. They were already, I was already, I wasn't even pastor anymore to the kids. I was papa to them. And so when the Mexico City earthquake went, 
70% of them were affected, their relatives. You know, so when you're in the kingdom of God, your neighborhood just got blown, right? Because things matter. People that weren't your neighbors before are your neighbors now in Christ. And so something in, that happened in the world after apartheid is instructive to what can happen in America with immigration. When apartheid was dismantled, there were on both sides people who had who had done the most heinous things to black people, to Africans. The Africans had done some of the most heinous things. Nelson Mandela created, they created the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, headed up by Bishop, Bishop, Archbishop Tutu, which meant that they knew that they, the book is called There's No Future Without Forgiveness. And they recognized that they would have no future until they dealt with these atrocities. And so all that needed to happen is if, if some Africana had done something, he needed to come and to confess it, and amnesty was given to him. And they noticed that some of the most Heinous crimes were forgiven by those victims and even the conscience of those that had, that had committed them were relieved as they got to confess. Men would break down in tears as they confessed what they did. And it was a part of the healing of the country. And I thought, wow, and we can't figure out how to get undocumented people documented. And these people committed murders against other citizens in their country. And, and not to mention, let me, let me just give you this little footnote. We, we were fine up until a point when this started affecting us negatively as a country and started affecting our economy in certain states. We were fine as long as they were picking our fruit, doing everything that they were doing and weren't seen as a problem. When they became a problem, now all of a sudden we wanted immigration reform and these people who had done these jobs, which by the way, no American want, wants to do, these people now have to go and they become this problem to us now, whereas though our economy benefited and was built the same way it was built with slaves. This is this smacks of the same thing that our people went through in the journey on our country and, and on our soil as well. And we can't find a way home to them. It's just it bothers me in the church. Those of us who have violated God's law, not the American law, but God's law, been given grace and mercy and kindness, would how dare us stand up and demand justice for somebody else when God gave us mercy and grace. So uh, two more questions. First one is from Casey Parnell asking if Keith can take you shopping and not Bo. Um, He's, he's definitely not here. Um, finally, this, uh, we had about seven or eight questions that were all under the same kind of theme. And that was, uh, you know, first of all, okay, so I'm a woman and I'm interested in getting involved in, in being a leader at Westside Church. How do I do that? But we've even just had some general questions. Okay, I'm here. I've, I haven't really led, led before. So where do I start this leadership journey? Uh, well, you're here. It's great. And, um, and it's, you're stepping in, you're leaning in, and, uh, and there's several ways that you can go from here. Uh, Essentials is a great class that we offer that helps you discover why you're here, what your purpose is. Um, it's a wonderful kind of first step uh, to, just to get to know yourself and how God wants to use your, your past, your present, and what your future might look like as a result of that. It helps you highlight what your gifts, what giftings are, help you even identify what those are. Um, so probably without even muddying up the water, I would just say Essentials, Essentials, Essentials. We 
called it that on purpose because um, we believe that is a first step uh, towards discovering how, how you're uh, built and wired. Now, those uh, of you that maybe have already been through Essentials or you kind of already have a, an understanding of why you're here, um, pick something up. Get a, get a shovel and start getting involved. You know, um, Pick a spot in the church or outside of the church where you have some passion and, just, and, and, and connect with us so we can help connect you uh, to those opportunities. And we're working harder right now at developing some real tools for people who want to be communicators. And so women just kind of hang in and hang in with me because if you've got like the word of God, like a fire in your bones, we really want to see women begin to step into a place where they can, they can start to share the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever they are in their world, in our church, wherever. And so I, and I just, I have a real passion for that as I age. And so we're really trying to build some good resources so that women can be trained. And I would add by hang in ladies, I mean, push, don't just hang in and say, Oh, well it'll change. No reform doesn't just come. So you've got to push and begin asking questions, not in a negative way, but in a very firm, assertive way that says, no, we're here. We need to be developed. Our time is now. And it's the same thing that I'm doing with the ethnicity and the racial issue. It's like I told Randy at Beaverton, I said, I'm applauding everything you've done up to this point. We still need to do more. And I'm going to constantly be a push until there's equality across the board. Well, as you heard today, quite a conversation with our panel. Uh, these are conversations that we will continue having here in our context, and we encourage you to do the same. We want to lean into uh, what leadership looks like for the church in the next decade plus, and so these uh, issues that we discussed today are very much a part of that conversation. Next week, we will be back with Pastor Steve as we launch a new series on the family and relationships, and so we're looking forward to that. If you want to listen to any of our messages, including the entirety of our leadership event from last weekend, you can do so at westsidechurch.org. And uh, you can always listen to us wherever you get your podcasts or on our website at behindthemessage.org.